Well, as we come to God's word, let's pray. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come now to hear your very words. And Father, we pray that as we hear them, they may indeed be, be sweet in our mouths, sweet in our ears, that we may treasure them and that we may obey them. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, there are four basic realms uh, in which we uh, look to for knowledge. Uh, four authorities, if you like, and they're sometimes uh, summarized in what has been called the Wesleyan uh, quadrilateral. Wesley lived in the 18th century. He didn't really uh, invent these, uh, but it bears his name. The four things are this, Bible, reason, tradition, and experience. Uh, Bible, we know lots of things about, about God, about ourselves, about the world from the Bible. Uh, we know that our world is created by God, uh, that we are sinners who have rejected him and deserve his judgment. Uh, we know that Jesus came to die on the cross to save us. He rose again as king uh, so that all who believe in him can be forgiven and have eternal life. Many things from the Bible. But we also know things from reason uh, as well. Hopefully we've uh, mastered our mathematics. We know that one plus one is two. And so to put two and two together, if you like, we could say that uh, one plus two is three, two plus two is four, and so on. Uh, if the sun rose and set yesterday, uh, if it did the same today, it's probably going to do the same tomorrow as well. We can use our brains. Now, we also know things from, from tradition as well. Uh, we learn things from our parents, uh, from our teachers. We learn things from books, uh, from church. Uh, in fact, we learn most things that way. Uh, I'm assuming that most of us would uh, uh, agree that World War II happened around 70 years ago. Now, most of us weren't there. <laughs> but we believe it because we were taught. Or, or uh, most of us will believe that gravity uh, accelerates at 9.8 meters uh, per second. I suspect not many of us have actually done the experiment ourselves, uh, but we believe it because it's in the science uh, textbook. We're taught things, we accept them. And we know things from experience uh, as well. As a child you learn, isn't it? If you uh, put your hand into a hot pot of water, uh, then you very quickly learn from experience, isn't it? Why it is called a hot plate and you don't put your hands in boiling water. Well, four authorities, four uh, sources of knowledge. We, we all use all of these all the time uh, and, we, uh, and, we use, and there's nothing wrong with, with, with uh, using these. Now, the question is at the heart uh, of our fourth soul of this evening. Scripture alone is this. Uh, when it comes to being saved, when it comes to living a godly life uh, that pleases God, which of these is the standard by which we measure all of the rest? Uh, is, is Scripture alone the authority uh, for that? Is Scripture enough? Or do I need those other ones uh, as well? Uh, well, we've seen so far in our series that we're saved by grace alone. Salvation is God's work, it's not my work. 
We've seen that we are saved through faith alone. Uh, the way we receive salvation is by trusting in Jesus, not by my own good works. Uh, and we've seen that we have faith alone in, in Christ alone. Uh, Jesus is the perfect one who has offered the perfect sacrifice, and so we do not trust in any other except him. But the main point this evening is this, that the only means by which we can know about this salvation is through Scripture alone, the Bible alone. Not, not Scripture in the church, not Scripture in my reason, not Scripture supplemented by my experiences in life, but Scripture, the Bible alone. Uh, before we turn to the implications of this uh, doctrine, I want us to just lay down two foundational truths that will be familiar to most of us. Uh, the first, uh, point one, is that the Scriptures are authoritative. The Bible is authoritative. Now, what we mean here is that the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, yes, it's written through many different human authors over, over long periods of time. Uh, yes, they, uh, they use their own research and their own styles and so on. But ultimately, Scripture, the Bible, is the Word of God spoken by Him. Uh, we see that in 2 Timothy 3.16, if you want to look in your Bibles, page 996, 2 Timothy 3.16, we read there that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training uh, in righteousness. And, and by Scripture here, uh, the writer Paul has in mind the whole of the Bible. If you just look to the previous verse in verse 15, he's just mentioned the sacred writings that Timothy learned as a, as a child. Uh, but now in verse 16, he says, he says all Scripture, uh, all of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament as well, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is God's Word. Uh, what does he mean? Well, if you uh, have uh, our breath carries the words that we say, uh, if you just put up your hand in front of your mouth and count to three, then you will feel the breath that is on uh, your hand. Uh, scripture, uh, the Bible, is God-breathed. Uh, it, is, it is God's word. It comes from his very mouth. Uh, another way of, uh, of, of, of translating that word God-breathed there is, is to say God-spirited, because it's helpful to know in the Bible the word uh, for breath is exactly the same word for wind and spirit as well. And so simply from the context, you have to work out which one it is. And God's spirit is a good translation here because, uh, yes, how is the Bible breathed out by God? It comes to us through the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Bible is written by human authors, but they wrote as the Spirit of God was at work in them. And so as they wrote, they did not just write their own ideas but they wrote God's Word. Uh, we see this in many other parts of the Bible on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, men spoke, it's a human word, but they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Uh, now, we might have an objection at this point. Uh, uh, of course, the Bible claims that the Bible is God's word. I mean, if you look at any religion, if you look at the Quran, it will claim to be God's word. Uh, the books of Buddhism or Hinduism, they will also claim to be God's word. So uh, isn't it a rather circular logic? I mean, uh, 
How will I really know whether this is the word of God or one of those other ones? Uh, now, actually, it's not a problem for it to be like that. Uh, because, you see, if something else, uh, if we had to look to something else to tell us that the Bible was the word of God, well, that thing would have more authority than the Bible, wouldn't it? Uh, if the Bible really is God's word, if it has the ultimate authority, then of course it must claim for itself to be the word of God. Now, we still have the question though, of course, well, how can I know that the Bible is the word of God and not those other books out there? Well, the answer is to come back to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Now, Jesus, we're told, is is the ultimate word of God to us. He is the word made flesh. Jesus came down from heaven. He lived on this earth. He spoke the very words of God. He, he died on the cross in our place. And as he, as he promised, he rose from the dead as, a, as, as the king of heaven and earth. We know he's the king. Uh, no one else, no other religious leader in the world has ever died and, and been resurrected and witnessed by many people. And what does Jesus say about the Bible? Uh, he, well, Jesus says the Bible is the word of God. He quotes uh, from the Old Testament. He commissions his disciples to write the New Testament. Jesus says the Bible is the word of God. And so if Jesus is our Lord, then we believe what he says. Well, uh, the next point is to realize that someone's word carries their authority with them. Now just uh, uh, imagine uh, if you have a three-year-old child at home and the three-year-old says uh, to their parents, sit down and eat your dinner. Very unlikely the parent is going to do anything, isn't it? Because <laughs> a three-year-old child just does not have authority over their parents. Uh, but if the parent says something to the child, if the boss says something to the worker, if the policeman says something to the citizen, then you will listen to their word, isn't it? Because they have authority. And so their word carries authority. Uh, and so if the Bible is God's word, then it carries God's authority. And, and if God is the King of kings and, and the Lord of lords, then his word is the ultimate authority above every other. Uh, God's word is so powerful that he can say, let there be light. And it comes into being. God's word is the ultimate authority. It stands above everything else. Well, the second foundational truth we have to affirm is that scripture is sufficient. Scripture is sufficient. It is sufficient for salvation. Have a look at chapter 3 and this time, uh, and this time verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul's making a very simple point here. Timothy uh, grew up knowing the Bible from being a child. And he says that those those scriptures that he used to read as a child, they are sufficient for him to know how to be saved. As he reads the pages here, he will know how he can be saved by putting his faith in Jesus. The scriptures are sufficient for salvation. Uh, but more than that, they're, they're sufficient for a godly life. Again, verse 16, we continue on. All scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Not, not a few good works, or several good works, not even many good works, but every good work. Uh, everything that we need to know to live a godly life that pleases God is written here. We need nothing more. Uh, the same point is made in many parts of the Bible. Have a look at uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul says, I will commend uh, you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So this, this word of God is able to uh, secure our heavenly inheritance. And it's also able to, to build us up to, to maturity in life. It's, it's sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient for a godly life. God has given us everything we need to know right here. Now, I suspect that there is no Christian in this room uh, who would disagree uh, with those things. Uh, uh, every Christian uh, believes the Bible is God's word. It is authoritative. Uh, every uh, Christian believes that the Bible can, uh, can show you how to be saved and, and how to live a godly life. If they didn't believe those things, I don't know why they would be a Christian. And yet the reality is that uh, the governing authority in, in many, uh, for many Christians and for many churches is not the Bible alone. Uh, but maybe the Bible plus how my church interprets it, or, or, or the Bible subject to my reason, as I like to think about it, or the Bible that as I read it through the lens of my experiences. And, and, and understanding this helps us to see why as you go to different churches in different parts of, of the Klang Valley, why they're often so different uh, in their style, because they are appealing to different authorities along the way. But if the Bible is authoritative, if the Bible is sufficient in every way, then it ought to be the basis uh, alone uh, for faith and a godly life. And so we're at point three, Scripture alone. Uh, firstly, it is Scripture alone, not Scripture and tradition. Uh, would you flip back in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, uh, our New Testament reading. Mark chapter 7, uh, it's on page 842. The issue in Mark chapter 7 is with the religious leaders. They, uh, they've got all kinds of religious rules uh, that they have, uh, they have thought up. And they're insisting that other people must follow their rules uh, as well. And so we read in chapter 7, verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And then we read they, have, they like to wash lots of other things as well. And verse 5, they come to Jesus with the question, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with, with undefiled hands? And so the issue for the, for the religious leaders here is that Jesus doesn't wash his hands before lunch. Now, the problem is not, is not hygiene. Of course, it is a good idea to wash your hands before community dinner later on tonight. But the issue for them here is of, of ceremonial uh, uh, cleanness. See, in the Old Testament, there were, 
there were various rules about, uh, about uh, what you needed to do to be clean before God. The priests, for example, had to wash their hands and their, their clothes before they offered sacrifices uh, to God. But in the Old Testament, those laws are only for specific people for, a, for limited periods of time. They weren't for everyone and there was nothing about washing before lunch. See, the problem with the Pharisees here Uh, as in many uh, systems of religion, is we we invent a whole list of rules, human rules, uh, that that God has never commanded. And then we insist that everyone must follow them. But look at Jesus' response in verse 6. Jesus says to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it's written, This people honours me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Jesus calls these people hypocrites. These are the the religious elite of Jesus' Jesus' day. Uh, Outwardly, they looked very religious following all of these laws. But Jesus says, actually, on the inside, all they are doing is replacing God's good law with their own ideas. Now, did the Pharisees believe that the Old Testament was the word of God? Of course they did. Did they believe that they should obey it? Definitely. That's why they'd made up all of these laws in the first place. But instead of actually following God's word, they were actually following their own traditions that they'd made up. And and Jesus gives us an example in verses 9 uh, to 13. God had uh, commanded uh, that uh, we should honour our father and and mother. And yet the religious leaders had come up with this nice little scheme that if you said, "Uh, this money is devoted to God, uh, then you didn't have to to provide for your parents uh, anymore. You could just just keep it for yourself. Uh, They were being legalistic and it all looked very religious and good on the outside but they weren't really obeying God's word at all. Now, now, Jesus distinguishes very clearly here, doesn't it, between the word of God and the traditions of men. And the word of God must be obeyed. The traditions of men do not. Uh, in, in fact, it's very dangerous when we say that our traditions are authoritative, that, that unless you follow X, Y, Z rules, you're not really in, you're not really a Christian. Whenever we we add something and put it on the same level as Scripture, uh, in the end, that thing keeps on taking over because once I put myself over Scripture with my own rules, then I become the authority and I interpret the Bible however I like. Now, now that was the big issue uh, in the medieval church that the reformers uh, protested about. That's where Scripture alone comes from. See, in, in the Roman Catholic Church, Uh, they taught that there were two authorities. Yes, there is the word of God, but also there is the traditions of men, the the church. Uh, And so the word of of God was written down, but they believed that from Jesus to the apostle Peter and then uh, passed down from bishop to bishop, uh, from pope to pope, uh, there was all these unwritten traditions as well that they also had to follow. Uh, And so there's two authorities, the church and the Bible. Uh, And here's uh, what they write in their official documents on the next page. Sacred tradition and sacred scripture make up a single sacred deposit of the word of God. See, that two traditions, two authorities, 
sacred tradition, sacred scripture. Uh, and that's, of course, why if you uh, uh, are in Roman Catholicism, they, they believe lots of uh, different things that are, that are not in the Bible. Uh, things like, like purgatory or, or praying to the saints. You'll never find them in the Bible because they're not there. Uh, they are these so-called unwritten traditions that have been invented by the popes over the years. But it's not just that there's two authorities. Uh, Catholicism goes on to teach that it is only the leaders of the, of the church who can really understand the Bible properly. And so again, have a look on the screen. The task of interpreting the word of God authentically has been entrusted solely to the magisterium of the church, that is to the Pope and to the bishops in communion uh, with him. In other words, they're saying, uh, look, if you're just a normal Christian with your Bible, then you may as well give up because you can't understand the Bible for yourself. It's too difficult for you. Only if you go to, to the bishop, to the church, to the Pope, only then can you really understand it. And so they're saying, uh, Scripture is no longer the authority, if we go to the next slide. Uh, it, next one, sorry. It's no longer that. The church becomes the ultimate authority and the Bible gets put to the side. Now, no doubt this, uh, uh, we can actually tra uh, trace this tradition back to a guy called Irenaeus. He was, he was fighting a heresy in the early church. Uh, and he said, well, you know this, this false teaching is wrong because none of the leaders of the church believe it. Uh, I'm sure he had good intentions along the way. But uh, as uh, Regalia writes on the next one, uh, he wrote this really helpful book uh, called Nothing in My Hand I Bring uh, that shows some of the differences between Catholicism uh, and Protestant uh, Christianity. Uh, it's a really helpful book to read. He writes this, The problem with traditions is that they have the awful potential to undermine over time the very obedience to God's word that they may have originally intended to express. Uh, so when we make up our traditions, there's always a good intention at the start, but over time it can change. And so in Catholicism, it actually teaches the opposite of the Bible. Uh, they say, we do not have access to God except through the church. Uh, but the Bible says, no, you can read it for yourself. You can understand it for yourself. You do not need anyone to teach you. Have a look what John, the Apostle John writes in 1 John uh, chapter 2. I, I write these things about those who are trying to deceive you, false teachers. But the anointing that you received from him, the Holy Spirit abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it was taught to you abide in him uh, and so it's interesting isn't it as john addresses the false teaching in his church at the time uh, he doesn't say look go and find the teachers and they'll they'll sort it out and tell you what is the right thing to follow he doesn't say that he says you don't need a teacher because you have a teacher already inside you. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit was the one who caused the Bible to be written. The, the Bible is the Spirit's word. And as I believe in Jesus and I'm given his Spirit, his Spirit helps me so that as I read the Bible, I can understand it for myself. And so here is where Catholicism uh, goes wrong. Uh, they say the way to God is through the church, through the Pope. Whereas the Bible says the way to God is through his word, the Bible. So the next slide. In Catholicism, they say the Bible is not enough. 
You need traditions as well. They say the Bible's not clear. You need the church's help to understand it. But the Bible says, no, the Bible is enough. And the Bible is clear. And as you read it, the Spirit will help you to understand it. Now, it's, it's easy, isn't it, to, to talk about uh, Roman Catholicism. But the reality is that we do exactly the same things ourselves, don't we? Uh, we do it when we say things like, the pastor is always right. Or, Don Carson said this. He's a famous Bible teacher. <laughs> or have you heard this one? That's the way we've always done it here. Those are very dangerous things indeed. Because... Well, pastors are weak and sinful too. They, they make mistakes sometimes. Uh, Don Carson and John Piper and any other Bible teacher, they're not God, actually, are they? They can make mistakes. And just because we've done something for a very long time doesn't mean that it's, that it doesn't mean that it's right, does it? Could have been doing it wrong for a very long time. And one of the catch cries of the Reformation was this. The Reformed Church is always reforming according to the Word of God. See, what we need to do is, uh, is keep revisiting again and again. Why do we do this thing? Is that person saying what is true? Always we sit with our Bibles open. Is that what God really says? Or has someone made it up? Scripture alone uh, means uh, that everything is evaluated under Scripture's authority. Now, Scripture alone does not mean that it's just me and my Bible sitting in a room uh, by myself. Is it, uh, we're not the first Christians that have ever lived on the world. Uh, we, can live, uh, we can learn things from other Christians. Uh, we can learn things from the creeds that were written, uh, from the 39 articles, uh, from Christian books and commentaries. We can learn things from our pastors and from our Bible uh, study teachers and from, uh, and from our parents as well. Uh, and so long as those things faithfully express what, what the Bible actually says, they're very helpful indeed. But the key is that they are under the Bible, that they are critiqued by the Bible, and we constantly check whether what the pastor says, what the book says, or anything else, is what God actually says. Well, Scripture alone, not Scripture and tradition. Uh, the second one, Scripture alone, not Scripture and reason. Uh, the second mistake we can make is to say that, uh, that the Bible is subject to our reason. Uh, reason means using our brains to work out stuff, right? Uh, and so the medieval church was influenced by people like Thomas Aquinas, uh, a famous philosopher who, who, who placed a huge emphasis on the place of reason and and the belief was that that I could just if I just use my brain enough I could work out who God is uh, by myself or at least get halfway there uh, and so uh, to give a classic example of how this can go wrong we might think to ourselves I've, I've never been to a funeral before where the person gets out of the coffin dead people don't rise from the dead uh, and so well when the Bible says Jesus rose from the dead well he can't have really risen from the dead could he Ah, maybe it was a, a spiritual resurrection. He, he rose in the hearts of the disciples and they had fresh hope. Now, in the end, that's faulty logic, isn't it? Because if the Bible is true and Jesus really was raised from the dead, then people can be raised from the dead. In fact, it's fairly likely that everyone will be raised 
from the dead in the end. But we could give many examples like this. Uh, uh, Jesus couldn't have done any miracles. Mir miracles uh, cannot, cannot exist. Jesus wasn't the Son of God. How can someone be fully God and fully man uh, at the same time? Uh, the Trinity is not true. How can there be one God and three persons at the same time? That doesn't make sense to me, you see. And so with our reason, we dismiss what the Bible says, or we change it so that it fits with our thinking. They're all problems where our reason sits over the Bible. You see, the Bible insists there's no such thing as a free thinker. Sometimes people will call themselves free thinkers. The idea there is I can work it out for myself. But the Bible says no, there's no free thinkers. Our minds are actually warped by sin. Have a look at Romans chapter 1 on the screen. Paul says here that in our unrighteousness we suppress the truth. Uh, if we looked around the world, uh, we could see very plainly that God exists. Uh, the, the world in all of its enormity and complexity and, uh, and diversity, uh, it, it testifies that there is a God of, of great power and divine nature. Uh, this, uh, the Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, puts it this way, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims uh, his handiwork. See, that uh, this verse is saying it's, it's perfectly rational to believe that God exists. Uh, how else to explain how this world came from? It came out of nothing. It's perfectly rational. But the problem is we are sinful. And we do not want God to be God. And so we suppress the truth. And, and, and in fact, God's, part of God's judgment we see in verse 21, because we, although we knew God, but did not honour him as God or give thanks to him as God, we became futile in our thinking. Our reason was affected by our sinfulness so that we do not think uh, clearly, freely anymore. Our natural tendency is to think in a way that rejects God. And so we cannot simply work out God by our own reason. Uh, the, only, the only hope, as Psalm 19 goes on to show, is, is if God reveals himself in his word. If he shows us what he's like, and, and as we read his word, the Bible, and his, his spirit works in our hearts and, and renews our minds, he helps us to, to, to truly understand uh, who he is. The work of the spirit when he comes into our hearts is, is to renew our minds. But how does he do that? Well, he does it through through the Bible. As we, as we read the Bible, the Spirit works in our hearts to help us to think rightly about ourselves, about God, about the world. And so we don't throw away reason. Of course there's a place for reason, isn't it? But it is reason under the Scriptures. Uh, reason used in the service of the Scriptures. I use my reason to, to understand what is God actually saying not using my reason to dismiss what it says. Well, uh, it's uh, Scripture alone, not Scripture and reason. And finally, uh, Scripture alone, not Scripture and experience. I, th I think this is the one most frequent in Malaysian churches. Uh, people acknowledge that the Bible is, is, is the highest authority, but then they act as if there's two sources of authority, the Bible and experience. Uh, and so you see it when, uh, when people uh, speak of having a still, small voice within. 
Or when the preacher stands up and says, look, I have a word from God for you, a prophecy. Or the preacher who waves around their Bible and says this is God's word and then talks about their own stories of their own life experiences. You see it when uh, people interpret their feelings as if uh, God is guiding them in a particular way. If I, if I have a feeling of peace, that means that God is taking me a particular way. You, you see it when people uh, look to, to some, some miracle or, or spiritual gift as a defining mark that they are actually a Christian. In, in all of these ways, uh, in practice, in theory, the Bible is the Word of God. It's, it's good enough. But in practice, I need more. I need my experiences. I need something other than the Bible to truly know God and truly live in a way that pleases Him. And I think one of the most unhelpful things about all of those things is their tendency to separate the Spirit of God from the Word of God. As if uh, the Spirit is not the Spirit who has given us the Word. Uh, but it's no surprise, as we, we read in many parts of the Bible, uh, that that the Spirit is always connected with the Word. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 17, they have, we have the armour of God. What is the sword of the Spirit? The sword of the Spirit is the, is the Word of God. It's no accident there. And, and so the problem comes when I start reading uh, Scripture through the lens of my experience. Uh, and say, for example, I, I, I've, I've experienced some miraculous healing. God does heal people, doesn't he? And, uh, and he could heal someone, but uh, I've experienced this healing and then I think, oh, well, I read the Bible, every passage promises healing for everyone else as well. Or I've had some uh, ecstatic experience, uh, speaking in tongues or something like that. And so as I read scripture, I find that everywhere, when maybe it's not. Uh, this is one of the, the problems with uh, uh, what is called the, the Alpha Course. Uh, uh, Alpha is a, one of, uh, a course that many churches run to introduce people to who, who Jesus is. It's, a, it's lots of really, really good things uh, about the Alpha course. And lots of people have become Christians through, through Alpha. And if that was you, I really thank God for, uh, for the way that that has happened. But at the end of the Alpha course, uh, you go away on a weekend. And the goal on that weekend is that you will have a particular experience that you will fall down miraculously and you will start speaking in tongues in a language you don't know. Uh, and, and this experience is meant to be the proof that you are really a Christian. Now, of course, that experience could mean many things. Maybe, maybe the person pushed you onto the ground or something, I don't know. Uh, speaking in another language could mean all kinds of things. But it's, 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 it's profoundly unhelpful, isn't it? Because from that point on, the person is... Uh, to convince themselves that they're really a Christian, they're not going back to the Bible anymore. They're not going back to the promises that God has made. If they trust in Jesus, they will be saved. They go back to the experience. But what if they never trusted in Jesus in the first place and they had the experience? It's, it's very unhelpful, isn't it? We do not need Scripture plus experience to know God. Scripture alone is enough. God's Word is to sit over our experiences. Uh, God's Word tells us the meaning of our experiences. Uh, what experiences are good, which ones are evil, which ones are sinful. Uh, think, for example, of, of, of suffering. Uh, it's very easy to think, isn't it, when, uh, when I'm experiencing a particular difficult uh, time in my life, uh, maybe God is angry with me. 
Uh, maybe he's judging me. Maybe, maybe he doesn't exist at all, actually. And, and perhaps that shapes my whole reading of the Bible. He's not a loving God. He's an angry God. He's angry with me. But as I turn to Scripture, it helps me to understand my experience properly. Uh, perhaps I could go to somewhere like Romans chapter 8, which is all about uh, suffering. Uh, here's a few things it says. Our, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that, that will be revealed. They're, they're only temporary. There's, there's, there's heaven ahead. Or that, that God works all things for the good of those who love him, that he's, he's making us more like Jesus. Uh, or, or, or God's promise that, that, that nothing that, that happens can, can ever separate us from the love of, of God. Uh, even, even life and death, nothing else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. See, if, if Scripture is my authority, then it will help me to understand my experience. Uh, God is not far from me. God is not angry with me. God loves me. He sent his son to die for me. Now, of course, none of these things means that there's no place for experience in the Christian life. Uh, as we read God's word, we will have a profound experience. The Bible will convict us of our sin. It will assure us of God's love for us. It will give us the joy of knowing that we're, uh, our eternal future is secure. It gives us the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The freedom of knowing you're forgiven of all your sins in the past the hope of eternal life, the, the, the blessing of being a, a member of God's people, and so many more as well. And, but all of these experiences, they flow out, don't they, from, from the Bible. They are, they are Bible-based, they are gospel-shaped uh, experiences. It's not Scripture plus experience. It is Scripture alone. Scripture creating genuine experience and interpreting uh, ex genuine experience for us. Well, as we, as we conclude, just uh, two, two final questions. First one is this. I wonder, do we truly value the scriptures that we hold in our hands? Uh, the last few weeks I've been reading a book called The Hiding Place by, by Corey Ten Boom. We have some Dutch friends with us tonight, actually. And uh, Corey Ten Boom was a, was a, was a wonderful, amazing Dutch uh, Christian, uh, and she was uh, protecting Jews during World War II when they were all being taken to the gas chambers. And for her efforts, she was taken to a Nazi concentration camp in, in Germany. But in prison, she managed to get her hands on a precious Bible, small enough that she could hang it around her neck. And she poured over it day after day. She shared the good news with, with everyone else uh, in the camp. And, and this precious Bible helped her to, to understand this awful experience that she was in. What does it truly mean to when Jesus says to love your enemies, to give thanks in all circumstances, or when Jesus is, is arrested and killed and we're called to follow him, what does that mean? Uh, she begins, as she, she reads the scriptures, to, to, uh, to recognize her imprisonment is actually an opportunity to witness the gospel to all the other, all the other inmates, to practice self-sacrificial love, to give her rations to the others. She learns to cling to the word of God as the most precious possession 
that she had when she had nothing else. The psalmist puts it beautifully, doesn't it? It's more to be treasured than, than fine gold, sweeter than the honeycomb. The Bible is God's word. It's authoritative. It's sufficient. It's a treasure like no other. And there are so many in the world who would long to have a Bible in their hands, in their own language, that they can read. And here we have, right before us. Do you treasure the Word of God? Well, in the end, the way that you treat the Word of God is the way you treat God himself. Now, ultimately, our stance towards Scripture alone will be reflected in what you do with the Bible. Do you read it? Do you believe it? Do you obey it? Are you committed to, to preaching it? Uh, will you let your, your, your thinking, your experiences, your, your life be, be transformed by the Bible? Will you allow it to teach you and rebuke you and correct you and train you to be more like Jesus? Scripture alone means the Bible is the only and ultimate authority for all matters of faith and conduct. And so we should treasure it, but also live by it day by day. And, and my prayer is that is exactly what our, 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 new, our, our newly baptized friends will do for all of their lives. Well, may God indeed bring about a grand reformation in, here in Malaysia in the 21st century as we cling to his word alone and we preach it. For it is powerful to save and to enable us to produce every good work that God has prepared for us. Well, let's pray together. Indeed, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to hear the very words of God. We thank you that you have made yourself known through your Son and through your Word. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to be those who treasure your Word, who esteem it as the highest authority above all others. We are sorry for the times that we have let other authorities override your word. And we pray that uh, you would help us to, to sit humbly under it, to let it shape our thinking, our experiences, and our practice. And we pray that you'd help us to live by this word and to spend our lives proclaiming its life-giving message to all who have not yet heard it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.